I hope that everything is good and green right now because we just rushed again to get everything ready for today. <laughs> Sunday is our chaos and hectic day. So my name is Sarah Spelmuth. <laughs> I'm Madeline Siege. <laughs> yes, and I see that our volumes are coming through everywhere. We are live today. This is Smart Home Stupid People Sunday, and uh, we're going to try and always do Sunday at around 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, Eastern, Central European Standard Time, and Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central European Time. So North America, it's, you know, you guys are anywhere from, uh, what, like nine hours to uh, five hours, I believe, uh, behind us. So keep that in mind. Today is going to be a cool episode. Today we're going to be talking about scope. And uh, before I jump into that, I just want to say that we are live on Rumble on Rockfin. Now, Rumble and Rockfin are not fully integrated into the chat. So um, if you want to send us messages, you'll be able to send us messages that we can easily see, uh, just like Felminator has done just now <laughs> uh, from uh, via... Um, the hell is it called? Uh, <laughs> I know. I, uh, Telegram. We're now on Telegram. We have a Telegram mm. channel called Smart Home Stupid People. So you can chat um, via Telegram, through Twitch, and through DLive as well. So All of this technical There we stuff. go. That was a mouthful. And I'm a bit flushed right now because of the running to get here. So <laughs> how about you kick it off for a little bit? What are we talking about today? Yeah, today the topic is scope. And I had to look it up first in, in German because I was not really sure what it means. <laughs> So yeah, in I German guess. you have a lot of it often happens where you have one words that translates one word that translates to like a dozen English words and sometimes it, vice versa as well. Yeah. I mean I had a feeling what it could mean, but I wasn't sure. And I thought maybe I'll, it's better to look it up before we actually talk about this in, in the show. But yeah, scope from a from a point of view of like technical smart home aspect. But also from a point of view of biology, um, and maybe we'll just define scope to ensure that we all understand the same thing, what we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it into perspective. Yeah. You I'm trying to, to uh, yeah, I'm also trying to get the, uh, the chats to just ping in. I see people writing, but... Yeah, I can't um, read it. It's too far, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm supposed to be able to put it up on the big screen, ah, and yeah. I'm not sure what program that's coming through right now, so we're going to have to take it as it comes. I believe that's through Twitch, which is strange because typically Twitch is easily integratable. I will um, look into that. Yeah, maybe you just you can try to define the scope thing, and I'll read. Okay. The comments and. <laughs> so I think there's a question up there. Yeah, and see if there's a question. All right. Up well, there. I'll just I'll define it first. Um, when we're talking about actually building something, when we're talking about a project, when we're talking about a, a program that needs to be set into operation. Scope is the ability to look at the greater picture, project temporally into the future, and break things down into phases for the most part. And this is the context. Like scope, there are many different ways of, I think, looking at what scope really is, but this is what we're going to be focusing on today. Um, that when you want to build something, we need to have a clear understanding what it is that we want to build, how we're going to build it, mm. what what elements of what we're building start in phase one 
And what do we need to have accomplished in phase one before we could start phase two? And so on and so forth until we get to our goal. Now, this is a really, really important thing, I think. Um, not only in every industry out there, but it's also an important thing when we're talking about um, time management, right? When we're talking about actually being able to successfully reach a goal. A lot mm -hmm. of people tend to bite off more than they can chew. <laughs> Right, it's 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 un, it's very common. Um, we live, as I mentioned in previous episodes, in Eastern Europe. We're close to Berlin, and um, it has like Berlin has grown so fast that the infrastructure for the growth is just not there. Right, like it 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 took a it took a long time for a lot of the tradesmen to come up to get up to that level with the demand. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there are so much, there's so much happening. Um, there are many big cities all over the planet. They're being built fast, but Berlin was like a bit special in the sense that after the wall fell, it became a political decision that Berlin was going to be the capital of Germany. And that all of a sudden all the big players were going to move to Germany, you know, the big parliaments and the insurances and all these different little uh, NGOs and all that kind of stuff. And, to do this, it was just a massive demand on the uh, electrical grid, on the on the entire infrastructure, on the workforce. You know, we're we're 80 kilometers away from Poland, so a lot of people from Eastern Europe are coming over to build stuff. And there's naturally a language barrier, and the language barrier is very strong. Like anybody east of Germany, pretty much doesn't speak English if they're over 40. It's, you know, it's pretty much a thing. Mm. And um, I see that on the job sites where. Uh, German's no longer spoken as a, as a main language and neither is English. I mean, it's actually pretty much Polish and um, Turkish and Russian and that kind of stuff. And this, this you know, this puts a lot of stress on scope because now hmm. we're, we're talking about like from a job site point of view, when you want to build something that you, you want people to be able to, co to communicate amongst one another. You want people to express um, why something's, going to change, right? And 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 that or why something's not going to work and so on and so forth. Now, in um the animal world, this is a funny thing. I think that uh, uh Madeline's going to be the expert on this one for sure, <laughs> but you know, we we talk about we think about like birds when birds are are um building a nest. Mm -hmm. It's it's an unbelievable amount of of uh forethought and 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 logical thinking that needs to occur for that to happen you know they, yeah. they they have to find a location they have to know that it's going to be done before their offspring are born they have to find the right elements they have to make sure that it works within the environment they're building um and so on and so forth so yeah. why don't you tell us a little bit about the biological world when it comes to scope <laughs> you know maybe like uh from a single cell point of view from a hive point of view yeah, there's a lot to talk about this. And I was, I think I mentioned that in uh, previous episodes, um, I was working on rabbits. And on the first sight, you might think like a rabbit, there's not not so much to it. <laughs> um, at least I thought that. But when I looked more into the biology of a rabbit, it's actually amazing uh, on different levels. They're so-called ecosystem engineers, which means that they have the uh, ability to change to create and destroy the environment in such a way that they actually are really, um, yeah, they're creating their own environment. They're originally from the Iberian Peninsula in Spain and Portugal. And there they keep the, the landscape open through the way they, um, they scrape the ground, but also they 
uh, they borrow and dig uh, the dig burrs. Yeah. So, and this is like an architectural um, masterpiece <laughs> to say that. And it takes a lot of scope of that little furry animal. I mean, we're not talking, I'm, you know, talking about not much bigger as like a small dog size. And so they create these huge borrow systems, couple meters deep and wide and so, uh, so, yeah well-constructed. It needs the right soil. It needs the right um, construction, how many chambers, how to put them the together, air. the air, yeah. the airflow. There's like a really like an air system behind that, that the, the wind comes into the holes and really pushes out all the dead and, and like the, the old air to get like a circulation going on. And this is so much scope, like the scope to build uh, something like that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, think that this an animal like that would be possible it's possible to do this but obviously it is and also more so with the rabbits they also have a latrine system i think i don't know if i mentioned that actually already in the last couple mm. episodes um well uh i think that we should actually focus the latrine uh, on almost its own like i mean that should be an episode of its yeah, own yeah but, but give us a topical <laughs> overview of what uh, the latrine yeah. is and how reference how relevant it is to the rabbits yeah especially in terms of scope uh, the the latrines are kind of the communication system of of the rabbits um it's like an accumulation of feces and urine so the rabbits from the same group come to the same places and they put down their feces the urine and with that, they exchange information. So it's like a social media network for rabbits, if you want to um, put it like that. And But it's not that they just go wherever they want and pee and poo, but they find the specific places where other rabbit colleagues can find these latrines much better. But they're all also safe from predator, uh, predator attacks while they're going onto the toilet. Mm -hmm. And it has so much function and so much logic in it. And especially when the, the group is very big, they have to put more latrines closer to the burrow. If there are other groups around them, they also put latrines on the territory border. So it's like having a white picket fence <laughs> It's kind of saying, no, this is our area. Mm -hmm. And how they invest the time and energy to build that whole um, communication system is amazing. And there is a much, a lot of scope behind that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine who I'm, uh, whom with I build uh, um, databases. We built a few databases, uh, one for my company mm -hmm. and uh, one for with me personally before to be able to execute better um, planning and documentation in, in just a large project that I was uh, overseeing at the time. And uh, since having built that, I kind of got bitten by the database design bug and I couldn't <laughs> believe, yeah, just how to take logical thinking and put it into a four-dimensional point of view and uh, illustrate it with uh, with values and data types and relationships. Um, so what I'm going to do is actually before, before this episode, I prepared uh, a couple questions for... My my good friend Marcus McDonald. He is one of the CEOs, uh, founders of M7 Database, which is a database design company based out of Ontario, Canada. And and he and his company they have done huge databases, like you know, for the government, for uh, Ontario Hydro, and so on and so forth. And it's it's an amazing thing to see, like to hear the stories from him when he tells me about how important it is that. These, that 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 the the scope is taken seriously and 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 is understood to be a critical part of 
the database mechanism itself, mm -hmm. right? So um, we're going to go over. We have our new uh, studio here. Let's take a look at this. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I know she loves it. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk to my buddy uh, Marcus here. Let's uh, let's bring him up. There you go. This is Marcus McDonald. And uh, the question that I had pretty much asked him is: Is Marcus in your words and from your point of view and reason I asked Marcus it's not just because he's a database designer by trade but he has a degree in uh, epistemology so he has a degree in the philosophy of knowledge and logical structured thinking and this is it's one of these things where I ask people ask him often they say Marcus what, what are you going to do with that kind of education? He says, actually, I use my education every day mm -hmm. in my life, not mm -hmm. only for my work, but also for my personal life. And um, well said. So, Marcus, what is the nature of scope? I think to understand the nature of the dynamic of scope and power is to understand a simple thing that advertisers have been seeing since advertising started to become a professional activity right. over 100 years ago or a few hundred years ago is that every purchase is an emotional decision. And when you understand that every purchase is an emotional decision, not a financial decision, not a cost-benefit decision, it's an emotional decision, you start to understand the dynamic of power and scope. That if there's a degree of leadership that doesn't have a tangible accountability, you get, you get this us and them mm. vision of leadership where idea guy says something and everybody else just has to try and try to run and make it real. And some people see that when you're in this position, it looks like an efficient thing. Oh, everybody's scrambling. They must be doing work and getting it done. It, it isn't. It isn't. It's actually sabotage. You're sabotaging your project. Yeah. What has yeah. to happen is because um, any uh, direction from leadership, like like the act of sales, is an emotional, is an emotional um, activity. A leader might see it, oh, no, I'm objective. I'm just saying what needs to get done. No, actually, what's driving you, the way you shape it, the way you prioritize things is emotional. The only way to make it happen is to be able to put yourself in the position of those who are actually um, expressing yeah. the, uh, the mechanism of production and to engage yourself with the feedback from that from that group. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with putting a little steam on and you know trying to create parameters around things. Mm. But... Consistency is is what success and scope are about. <laughs> if you're changing your scope, you've broken everything. There's no way you can succeed. And what happens is you end up deteriorating quickly, deteriorating your mechanisms of production. Right. So, uh, yeah, no. So it's to understand that leadership cannot stand apart from the realities of the mechanisms of production, and 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 to understand that consistency of scope is the act of being able to achieve any form of uh, metric of success. And, and this is not talked about. People don't talk about scope. They're thinking deadlines. They're yeah, thinking yeah. success or failure. But when you talk about any of those things with regard to scope or if the scope is changing, forget it. <laughs> and by the way, conversely, yeah. if you have a good beat on scope, and make sure that the scope is not this overbearing thing. It's bite-sized chunks. You know, you you have if you've got a good beat on scope and you're achieving these things, success is easy. Mm. And then you even may have room at the end for something more and really slay the thing, really do a good job. There we go. Those are big words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really. <laughs> what do you think of that? 
There are a couple things that stand out for me. What, uh, what, what, what stands out for you? Yeah, especially the first part where he talks about emotion and yeah. uh, the emotional aspect of our decision making. Mm -hmm. I think maybe especially me as a woman, I'm <laughs> very emotional driven many times. Uh, and I'm sure I did a lot of pur purchases on an emotional level. <laughs> yeah. Where I actually, yeah. before you continue, I, I actually, Maddie knows this, um, I make a, a, a strong point to know what I'm going to buy before I go to a store. Yeah. And if I see anything that would become an impulse buy, I buy it the next time. And I, and I write it down and I say, this is something I wanted to buy impulsively. Yeah. And then a day later, I realized, nah, that, that, was, uh, that was bullshit. So just, yeah. just as a little practice that um, consumption is, is an emotional uh, reaction often. This is yeah. why a lot of uh, the supermarkets are colored in certain ways. You know, all the products have different colors. Yeah. Um, I've heard many stories of the East Germans. We're going to keep going back and forth to the East Germany thing. So I think it's a great example. You know, this yeah, is a, you love that. Hey? This, yeah, well, this is a culture that <laughs> yeah, was separated true. from the rest of Germany for, what, like 30 years? Like it wasn't even that much, 60 to 90 or something like that, right? Maybe more technically after World War II, but when the yeah, wall yeah. really went up and said, right? Um, it It's amazing to see how different they became. Yeah. It, no, but I mean, it's it's not not in a bad way. It just they are different. I mean, each, yeah. each province is different to begin with, but what one generation really does to them. And one thing I've heard over and over again from a lot of East Germans when the wall came down was how painful the colors were. Yeah, yeah. Coming into a supermarket for the first time and seeing red and yellow everywhere, it's mm -hmm. it, you know, it's very aggravating for the senses. Yeah, but I think this is also part that goes into the whole scope topic. The way you have been raised and what you experience in your environment in your early ages, uh, in your early you know childhood, yeah, um, developmental age, yeah. Yeah, and the the scope uh, of your parents, what were their dreams, what were their emotional drivers and uh, buttons that. Um, you know, needed to be pushed in order to make them react. And yeah. I think that's something that we all incorporate in our own lives. Ask yourself, why are you want to finish a certain project? What is your goal? Is it that you want to become rich and famous? Or is it that you want to bring something into the world that is actually useful? And so that's also part that I think Marcus uh, mentioned, that sometimes on the way you, you miss the scope Uh, of a project and then it's doomed to be failed because mm -hmm. everyone just tries to finish it and make something out of it but no one really knows anymore why they started and from the beginning and it's just yeah. like you know it's just like there's I always like that uh, comparison there's a very famous um uh food food stand in 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 Kreuzberg Berlin Kreuzberg it's called um The, uh, what's his name? The Döner? Um, <laughs> the Döner guy? Yeah, the Döner guy. What, is, the Mustafa's, you mean? Yeah, Mustafa's oh, Döner yeah. shop. It is like all over uh, the, the, the travel books. So people just like going crazy for his food. And sometimes the, the queue is like around corners and you have to wait for hours and hours. And it's like, you know, you go yeah, into just to the, get a kebab. Yeah, just to <laughs> get a kebab. And then maybe it's like that, you know, one one time you decide, oh, I want to try this one because it's so famous. It must be amazing. You stay in the in the lane for an hour, another hour, you realize, actually, I don't want this anymore. But now that you already spent two hours, you're just like, okay, you know, there's another hour. And then just realizing at the end, it was not worth it because you could have also just done something else with your yeah. time. But because you're invested already so much in it, you are afraid of quitting. And I've seen it so often during my um, research, during my time as a scientist and also now as a um, project leader or the, the CEO of the foundation I'm working for. There's so many projects 
that had been started. And obviously the scope is long gone. Other people did it so far, you know, already. So it's, there's no reason to, to, to cling on it. But just because we already invested so much time in it, there is like that urge to finish it. And <laughs> I think from a point of view in nature, that would never really happen because why would you invest more energy and time than it's needed? And along the way, things have shifted. There is a different scope now, a different, um, a different aspect of your work that needs you to change. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. And you bring up a good point that nature wouldn't do it that way. And I'm of the opinion that if something doesn't fun fundamentally operate within the laws of nature, then it's doomed yeah. um, to crash and burn, really. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, doomed, it's doomed to be um, canceled, right? It's uh, Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's not like that is a failure. It's more like, okay, that it was just not working, try something else, try something different, or the, the time has changed, so mm -hmm. move on. And, you know, and I think we as humans are clinging way too much on these, uh, on these scopes yeah, yeah, because yeah. we identify ourselves with projects. We see the value of something combined with our own values. And if it's not working the way we want, then we think maybe it's something wrong with us, <laughs> which has nothing to do. I mean, like, a, yeah. I don't know, in nature, you don't see animals or plants identifying with what they do or what they, what they achieve. If a tiger misses the, the gazelle, we just focus on something different. Then he tries the next one. He's not sitting in the corner and cries about it. <laughs> so yeah. Maybe, you know, yeah. just like... I mean, just very broadly spoken, but um, I always saw it that way, studying animals and plants for de dec decades now, or just biology in general, always showed me that everything is constantly in, in movement and change in nature. It is constant, um, yeah, constant change. And every organism has to adapt to that change in order to survive. And I think we as humans are the only species who did not really, really get that. <laughs> it's like still trying to, you know, hold on to something that is already long gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Marcus had something good to say about that. We're going to go back into the oh, yeah. studio here. Whoop, here we are. <laughs> and we're going to bring up Marcus again. And Marcus said uh, he calls this the syndrome of the idea guy. Well, actually... I, I called that that. He, he mentioned it. <laughs> okay. But let's call this the yeah. idea, the syndrome of the idea guy. You get the idea guy syndrome where somebody's really excited about their ideas and frustrated that, that they can't just be made real. Mm -hmm. And and it's like it's the part of it's the responsibility of the practitioner yeah. to keep the scope under control. Because uh, I'll, I'll go so far as to say the success of a project is simply mm -hmm. defined by its scope. Many projects actually fail before they begin. Yeah. And then projects that begin with a scope, if that scope is changing, that's the equivalent of mortgaging your failure. In other words, you cannot, unless you keep that scope under control, you will not meet any metric of success. Yeah. So, so scope is saying no to big creative ideas at an inappropriate time is good. You can always say later is probably a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yeah. Wise words once again from Marcus, the epistemologist. Uh, yeah, like like he like he mentioned, you know, um, keeping scope under control. Yeah. Right. And I've seen this so many times where you have um, the idea guy who just wants everything <laughs> to be like, everything to him is a little decision. Yeah. Right. It's uh, and so you have three phases as I mentioned. You have the planning. 
Well, I didn't mention that, but uh, in most of the projects that I work on, you have three particular mm -hmm. phases. You have the planning phase, you have the installation phase, right? And then you have the programming and set into operation mm -hmm. phase. Those are that's typically the way things go in my industry. Now, the that that would be more along the lines of a lighting system, right? When we're talking about a, a media system uh, or a security system, the phases get jumbled around a little bit. But the point is, is that planning, right? You don't you don't start planning in phase three. <laughs> Shouldn't. But a lot of people do. It's it's awful. Like. A lot of tradesmen nowadays think that they're going to show up there with their truck and their buggy, and they're going to they're going to rock up on site, and they're not going to do any planning and any documentation. They're just going to you know try to freestyle it out, some say, as best <laughs> as they can, and it's and it's doomed to create chaos. Mm -hmm. And this is why I find a lot of companies nowadays have switched to charging hourly, so they can actually profit off of the chaos that they bring to the job site. And it's it's an unfortunate reality uh, of something that I've seen more and more and more because you want to ask yourself afterwards, if it's not an efficient, if it's not a practical way of doing things, then mm -hmm. why is it done so often? Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of what I just illustrated. Kind of the reason is I think a lot of people they they when if they were gambling men they would gamble and bet on their own incompetence, and by mm. doing so. Um, they spread confusion, mm. right? When mm -hmm. in doubt, spread confusion mm -hmm. is, a, is a great uh, saying that I've heard many times. I think I mentioned it last episode yep. as well. And this when in doubt, spread confusion, um, it, it, it becomes the ability for the person who's actually creating the confusion to profit off of it. Now, in a holistic point of view, when you're working in a team, when things, when when you actually want the project to be finished and the project is important, that kind of stuff doesn't get tolerated mm -hmm. as easily. And so you start to see that when you get up into bigger organizations. For me as a musician, I've I've toured all over the U.S. and I've seen people who are not easygoing get left behind. You know, they don't get called back for the next tour. They don't mm -hmm. get called back for the next show because it's not worth it. We don't care about his emotional baggage when we have a, a bus full of 10 or 20 people that, you know, just want things to be easygoing. You don't need a guy bitching and complaining the whole time about all of his problems and why he's having difficulties all the time. Yeah. And so, and this is the same thing I think in nature as well, is that if if it's not easygoing, people are going to look for another approach. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but it de definitely depends on what's your scope. If it's the scope is making money off of you know these uh, these hourly uh, charged yeah yeah just um, build things, hours. then maybe this is the better way to go, right? Well, and this is <laughs> on the, a short term, but on a long term, of course, you know it. you uh, it's kind of the yeah. same the same in nature. You have some animals, some plants that kind of like misleading, and that's also related a little bit to the episode that we had in the beginning. Yeah. These misconceptions, misleading. There is uh, a flower that pretends to be um, a bee, a female bee. It also smells like it and it looks like it so that the male bee is attracted to that flower. It comes, you know, thinks, oh, there's a beautiful little lady uh, bee. I want to, you know, like mm -hmm. make love to her. <laughs> and, uh, sits down on it and while it tries to co uh, copulate with that flower, um, it gets the pollen all over it. So once one one time that trick works, but the next time that bee recognizes that it has been fooled and it goes not anymore to that same flower. So I guess that's the same. Sometimes these things work maybe once or twice, but once people realize that you know this is not not yeah. in their best interest, then they go somewhere else. And uh, these techniques, these methods, are not persisting over time. 
So is this flower extinct now or what? No, it's still there because <laughs> that's actually the cool thing as everything in nature is that uh, there's evolution, that flower has different, so it's a plant, it's an orchid and it have, has different flowers and each flower looks a little bit different. Different enough that the male bee... They, they keep getting fooled? Yeah. Oh, well, they on. just go to the different flower then. They're not going to the same flower. And it ah. just takes one flower. So the flower to, doesn't want the same bee to come to it over and over again. It wants it only needs it to be done once for the it pollination. It only needs it to be That's once, right? Cool. Um, yeah. So, but it doesn't need to be the same flower Yeah, the again. flower would get wrecked if the bees were constantly on top <laughs> of it. Right? Yeah. Or yeah. like that. And for you guys out there uh, who... who, uh, who, who um, Maybe consider yourself bee experts. Madeline is a, is a big bee expert now. Uh, she's, she works for an NGO that uh, is deeply involved with bees. And something I didn't know is in Germany alone, how many different types of wild bees do we have here? Yeah, over 560 different species actually in, in wild in, bees. In Germany or worldwide? Yeah, in, in Germany. Wow. Worldwide, there are way more. Um, and and uh, I don't know the numbers. Maybe you don't either. But uh, how many of them are not hive bees? Well, actually, uh, um, the majority are um, like that they're living as a um, said that I just know the words in, the, in German. <laughs> what is it? It's um, not a single bee, but they're kind of. Um, oh no, I missed the word. But they they're not living in hives. They live um, uh, solitude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either by themselves or yeah. um, what about uh, little families and tribes? Do they do that? Well, most of them really in solitudes. I know really the bumblebees are actually also living in, in hives. That's uh, uh, mm -hmm. an, an example, but most of them are more solid. Um, solitary, they're only solitary, yeah. solitary. They only meet males and females during reproduction times, and then they lay their eggs somewhere. Yeah, there you guys go. I didn't know yeah. that. Now you guys know that. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not really a bee, bee expert. Expert. There are people out there. there who can just distinguish all of the different 560 species, <laughs> and I, I might, yeah. Maybe just a couple of them. Yeah. Well, nevertheless, <laughs> um, yeah. I think. But if, if if once you get to that point, uh, bees is pretty much your life. You know. <laughs> well, it's 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 more like the the more overarching uh, topic behind it that bees are very nice species for looking at ecosystem, how an ecosystem works, how yeah. everything is connected, and that's why. We also just focus on on the bee as a representative of species the of the yeah. ecosystem cool. and how everything is is connected and how it works together. And if you take one part piece out, it can have uh, yeah uh, catastrophic um, so, implications. Yeah. And yeah, that's you know that's it. so that actually brings up a, a, a really cool topic. Um, before we go to it, I actually want to bring up one more thing. And um, Marcus had I had asked him also. Um, when I mentioned to him, I said, you know, you have this this issue of of uh, people who don't want to become better. They don't want mm. to be better planners or anything like that um, because they tend to profit off of the chaos that they create, whether it be for emotional profit or financial. That's always debatable. Um, the, the 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 real question is is that what's what's um, What's to gain really by that? And I'm of the opinion, and I know, and this is kind of a, for me, it's a subjective thing. I know that after I built the first database that I built, I was able to handle much larger projects and more of them parallel to one another without getting lost within within the scope of each project. Mm -hmm. And that was huge for me, actually, to be able to... Um, to take a tool like a database and leverage it, uh, you know, for such a complicated, um, real life, real 
situation um, solution. It was mm-hmm. actually, that's why I kind of got, as they say, stung by the bug in this case. I was really um, bitten by the bug, sorry, they say, of, <laughs> of, of, of building databases because yeah. it was just amazing for me to see how much easier my life became yeah. when I was able to just um, put things down in a certain order mm-hmm. so that when I have a question in my mind, no matter what it is that's related to that job, the quicker I can come to that solution and the more accurate I can come to that solution, uh, the easier the job becomes, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. for myself and for intercommunication and so on and so forth between my own colleagues and um, also the colleagues of the other companies that we're working with. Yeah, maybe also mm-hmm. just before you changed um, the topic, what you said that, you know, you have these different stages and that's something you can also see in nature. I guess a bird, mm-hmm. before it starts building a nest, it looks for the right spot, right? That's the most important thing. Also with the rabbits, they have to find a nice sunny hill where they can see the landscape, where there are not too many predators. Where, where it's not, not all made by sand. Well, it's not all made by sand. Where it's not yeah. raining too much, where it's not too cold. And first they find that. They really take time to find the, the right spot. And then they, de- they decide how many holes the, the, the ball has to have. And so major decisions have to be made first before you start actually really a project. And I think what the problem is, many project situations that they keep changing these decisions on the go. And that's why it creates so much confusion. Like during my PhD topic, I think I also mentioned that in the beginning, like I had a couple um, sessions with my PhD supervisor and told him, you know, this is how I want to do it. And then we agreed upon And so I did it that way. And a year later, I talked to him. It's like, why did you do it like that? I said, because we agreed on that. And he said, no, we should have done it differently. Now you do it like that. So not sticking to an initial plan can just really, you know, it's one thing if it's not working the way you want to, then you can change. But just changing because you think a different way is better <laughs> is, uh, I think, yeah, con- creates an unnecessary confusion and just is not centering the energy anymore it just takes you all over the place and i can see that also now with my my uh, my book the the second one i'm writing i actually also use a kind of a database right now for this um because i'm mapping each chapter each scene with all the different aspects in it so i can go back each time and look look is actually the scope of each chapter within the scope of the whole book mm-hmm. so that you don't lose um track of all these different um aspects Yeah, I, I guess yeah. writing a book, definitely. Uh, you've learned that from your first to your second book. Absolutely. <laughs> that uh, writer's craft is an important thing to have yep. when yeah. uh, when actually executing something like that. Yeah, it's one thing to let go and flow and, you know, have the creativity go out of it, but you need kind of like a form where you can put it into mm-hmm. that it takes a certain form you want to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know what? This is, this, this is, I'm going to go back to the studio now. This comes to my next point is that it's, It's okay to have change. Um, you know, yeah. I, I don't think anybody needs to live in this orthodox world where change doesn't need to exist. Um, it's important to understand that if you have a financial budget, mm-hmm. which we humans have, <laughs> and in, in, in the animal kingdom, they just have different currencies. So finance yeah. is actually, I would say, relevant in the, in the, in the animal well, kingdom as well. Yeah, but also the budget that we all have is time. Well, there you go. I mean, yeah. th- that's the next one that I was going to talk about is you have, uh, for us, we always have our budget and we have our deadline. And if you want to meet deadline on budget, right, then you better have a scope. And yeah. if you're constantly changing things and you're constantly walking away from your original intention, then uh, that's not going to happen. It's mm. not going to work. Um, the way Marcus uh, said it, uh, really, he said it really well. You end up mortgaging, you yeah. know, uh, what, what, what your decisions are. Because yeah. you're going to pay for it more later. 
And that's, and that's the, the really important thing to understand is that when you have little projects with little scopes, you may have leeway, you know, in the sense that, okay, if, I, if the project has to be done today, it's a five-hour job. And if I screw up and take my time and change a couple things around, it might take me seven hours instead of six. Mm. You know, that's okay. Because that's still within scope mm -hmm. of your one day. Mm -hmm. But if you then start doing things that require you to come back and back and back, then, you know, perhaps the customer should be well aware of it's going to cost money every time this guy comes here. You know, yeah. it's, it, <laughs> and, 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 and it has to be okay with that. So uh, I'm going to bring up Marcus again. And Marcus, uh, how do you build a better system? Let's, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, I think under-promising over-delivering is, is actually a good way of saying, when you say under-promising, what you're actually saying is keep the scope within a, uh, a, a, um, a better-than-realistic. People say realistic. Yeah, There's yeah. this thing, I've, I'm, not, I'm not a psychologist but uh, um, or a biologist. Matty actually might be able to help with this a bit. But it's interesting because um, I'm under the impression that human beings, um, uh, when they have perspective on resources, they'll... they'll They'll tend to underestimate, you know, the amount of time. They'll tend to estimate the amount of fuel. They'll tend to, you know, underestimate. Yep. In other words, yep. what happens? And, and, and when you put that into scope, people are saying, "Oh, for this and this and this, we can do this." Actually, reality. Consider twenty percent reality tax. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> no, take your hundred percent yeah. and take twenty or thirty percent and say, "This is just." the unexpected happening. So we're going to build that in yeah. and you're going to find if you do that, you'll be just on time with just what you need. And, and I, I think that has to do, especially with programmers who have a, a tendency to, uh, um, I know myself, like, you know, as an artist, but also as a, as a, as a programmer, as a, as a producer, I also have that capacity to think, Oh, I know how to do it. I can do it in no time, you know, in my head, I can see yeah. how to do it. And for some reason it compresses time to nothing. And I actually know, you know what, that's a, you know, that's a day's work or a few days work or a few hours work, whatever it would be. There we go. Well mm -hmm. said again. Um, we have a question here. I'm going to bring up cause it's actually an important one. I think, mm -hmm. uh, would you say the confusion you're discussing in other words is miscommunication? Um, it's a part of it. And the reason why I say that, because I think that uh, like what Marcus just said is it's often being um, honest with yourself yeah. because often we tend to think, oh, I've done that a million times. It'll, it'll go by fast because it, in, because it happens in your mind, your mind has the ability to kind of eliminate time from a goal mm -hmm. and say, I've done this a bunch. I can do that really well. I can do that really quick. And then you sit down, you do it and you're like, you know what? The phone rings, uh, you have to call and talk to people and go over it again. And, and that, that, that quickly becomes a couple hours or a day's work and so on and so forth. And so time management is a huge part about it. Now, the uh, miscommunication aspect of it is, yeah, I, I would say that scope is kind of the way that we try to uh, communicate our, mm -hmm. our goals and our ideas through the temporal progress of 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 uh, accomplishing a goal. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of which, um, like I, I I've heard recently that um, humans are the only animals that have the ability to uh, measure and witness time. And from a point of view, I guess you can say that that's kind of true in the sense that, um, from what I've heard over and over again, is that the prefrontal cortex is unique to uh, humans. Uh, to humans and primates. Primates also have it. Yeah, as developed as uh, humans, or um, I, I'm, I'm, don't, I don't think so. 
Okay. Well, yeah. the point is, is that uh, well, at least not in size, right? So right. Well, that, that that's a good that's a good uh, um, question. I really wonder mm -hmm. that myself. If um, um, the prefrontal cortex gives us the ability to really project the future and to also sit and think about the past yeah. in ways that maybe other animals can't. Um, you know. Yeah. I I actually also I did one uh, um, one for my own podcast about the um, um, actually how a chicken <laughs> perceiving um, their lives and actually if they're able to project into the future and um, there was one one experiment done where they presented chicken um, like um, something to eat and then they combined it with a signal. And then next time they just presented that signal and they knew, the, the chickens knew that after the signal has been sent, there will come something. Mm -hmm. So they kind of com combined that signal with what's coming in the future. Yeah. So obviously there is kind of like a time... Um, yeah, the way they perceive time, they also kind of knew how long five minutes are. So I think really, there's yeah. way more to it than than just, you know, where you just say mammals are able to perceive time. I don't think so. There is a lot out there that we don't know yet about animals, mm. how they um, how they perceive the environment, even species, even animals that are not maybe so highly developed than uh, a mammal. But I, I don't think and I haven't heard of any study that shows that animals, just like we, project into the future, that they think about the future, that they worry even, <laughs> or they might, you know, just like hang on and cling on to the past that yeah. we, the way we do. And th there's a very simple reason for that. If they would just be all the time somewhere else with their minds, uh, that chicken wouldn't uh, survive very long, <laughs> you know, or like that rabbit is like, lu, lu, I'm just thinking about something nice and all of a Maybe, sudden there's uh, like, Okay. Maybe this is the reason why penguins just run away aimlessly. <laughs> maybe they can do it. Yeah, maybe right? there's nothing else for them to worry about. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, uh, but well, yeah, that's that's the main reason. They're you know they have mm -hmm. to have all their senses together and perceive the environment to make sure that they're not just getting eaten. Well, this is that philosophy that or that idea that I often hear that animals are in the moment, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that yeah. most most of them don't have prefrontal cortexes, at least not the way that we have them. Mm -hmm. When we want to talk about a physical point of view, right? I think that there's a lot more behind it. Um yeah. I, I think it's really uh it does a disservice to uh, to to the natural world to say that everything is just based on chemicals. Absolutely, but yeah. um, it's also important to also see uh, from a physical point of view the the reality behind it too. And I, I you know, the, we, we, we call it our third eye. We call it uh, the ability to look into another sense and so on and so forth. And now there's a, I just recently read a paper about the idea that all of the information that we first experience goes first into the penile gland and then gets distributed to the rest of your brain, mm -hmm. meaning that there is a central area where information is being compiled and then sent out mm -hmm. uh, for the rest of uh, the brain to cognitively decipher and understand. So that's a fantastic idea that we actually, um, actually for all of you guys on Rockfin, I recently heard it uh, from James True. Go check out James True. Mm -hmm. He has a great theory as to how um, our penile gland, uh, pineal gland? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good that's a good fuck up. Uh, the, the prefrontal cortex. We're just gonna leave it yeah. at that for now. That in there you have uh, the the it, it has the ability to really take in all of reality before your eyes even take it in. Mm -hmm. Meaning that what's happening realistically is already sensed by the person before the person has bared witness to mm -hmm. it optically. Which also means that 
if what they're about to bear witness to is too awful, the brain can shut it off before you visually react on it. Mm -hmm. And so this uh, this is uh, uh, one of the mechanisms we believe for extreme stress when 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 we're exposed to a trauma and the way that uh, the brain is uh, helped to block some of that stuff mm -hmm. out, the way that sometimes we see something and we think we saw something else, uh, that when you focus on something, you don't really see too much in your peripheral vision. So I love the theory. And I <laughs> want to just say, James True, thumbs up. Um, so now I can next time blame, blame my pineal gland if I don't see the garbage. Well, see, and, and this and this is that idea. People sometimes see what they want to see. Yeah. And this relates directly to scope. I think that a lot of people look at a project and they're making little snap decisions because that's the way they want to see things happen. And mm -hmm. they're not really too concerned with um, the bigger picture. And they yeah. think that the stress that they're implementing into the system is not going to affect other people too well yeah. uh, or, or too greatly. And so therefore it, it just happens anyway. Well, I guess there's also a lot of, um, I guess that ego involved the way you are wanted to present yourself to the world and the way you want to be seen by others, mm -hmm. right? It has a lot to do with how you make your decisions and what kind of projects you pick up, what kind of scopes you have in your life. Um, just recently um, it, we came across also something about I think that was um, uh, Eckhart Tolle who talked about this. Mm. And he said, "And do what you really like, and then um, see why you want, why you want to do something. Is it because you think you might, you know, might become famous because of that? Do you want to become a musician because you are want to be on stage and want to be famous, and everyone, you know, just like applaud you, <laughs> or do you really enjoy the music itself?" the practicing and as a side effect you go onto the stage and you play but not because you want the, the fame um, but you just like playing you just like the music and I think that has a lot to do with the goals we pick in life do you want to write a book because you're interested in writing or you want to become a famous author and uh, so I, I just see that writing is such a um, such a joy to me and it's it's it just makes me really happy no matter what I will ever become a famous author I just love the process itself figuring it out but in the same way I also try to bring something into the world that's not only that's beyond my pleasure of writing that's something that you know, other people might also help on their way, something that I figured out. That's why I really like writing as a tool mm. to bring um, knowledge into the world. Yeah. Sorry, I was just looking at the, uh, I listened to every word, but I just wanted to say that uh, te <laughs> Telegram, this is the first time I'm streaming live to Telegram. It oh, doesn't okay. look like it's working too well. So I apologize for you guys looking for us out there on Telegram right now. Oh. Um, I'm going to have to learn about this. It uh, yeah. seems like it might be a thing. I think we have a lot of channels that people can, you know, find us and, I think there's one more question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, this is not going to work. I'm going to have to cancel this. See, there's also someone says she never sees the garbage either. So <laughs> yeah, see, there we go. Thank you. It's it's, it's not just a one-off thing. Nope. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. So I guess Telegram. We're going to have to do it next time. Sorry, you guys out there on Telegram. Um, we're still learning. Yeah, it's a bit strange. Yeah. Oh, here we go. I think I just got it. See, learning on the fly. <laughs> it's one of these things where as, as, as much as you want to try and have good scope over everything, the reality is that, oh, look at this, now it's talking back to me. Oh, yeah. have to, I'm going to turn this down now. Well, um, so that sucks, but uh, the, the reality is learning on the fly sometimes it cannot be avoided. Sometimes you just have to be in that environment in order for things to happen. Yeah, and that's what uh, also Marcus said, that you put 20% time extra on everything that you plan because you will need that time. 
And there's always something you can't foresee. There's always something that will change the way you anticipated things to to work. And that's also good if you you don't have to be prepared, be prepared for every little detail, but be prepared for things that can go wrong. And with the 20% extra of time and budget, you know, you can just, yeah, you can, yeah. you can deal with it. And I've seen it also in my work, in my industry, like, I don't know how many times <laughs> where <laughs> people just underestimated the work in outside, especially yeah. if you work with animals outside the behavioral stuff, it's raining. You can't go outside. It's like the, the rabbits all die. You don't have any species anymore to observe. So there's so many things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a, an extreme. That, that's, a, that's a pretty extreme that example. Pretty extreme, but I, it yeah. didn't really happen to me. But actually, to to a student who was observing, I think four four uh, species of specific apes or something, monkeys in the zoo. Mm-hmm. Which is insane already. Like, why would you observe only four animals? It doesn't tell you anything. And one of them, I think, died. The second kind of became ill, behaved weird. Not four different species, four animals of a species. Yeah, Yeah, four animals of the same species. And so at the end, he ended up with only one and the whole work was just garbage. But yeah, that's that's insane already from the beginning. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. The adaptive behavioral studies of monkey number one. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. absolutely. <laughs> so I just want to say again, Telegram should be up and live now. Uh, I apologize to those of you watching in Telegram. We are 50 minutes late in there because I didn't realize that I had to push a button to actually trigger the stream. Uh, we are on Rockfin. Hopefully Rumble is working too. The last couple times I realized the Rumble stream collapsed. So we're streaming today at 30 frames per second instead of 60. Hopefully that'll uh, you know not overwhelm what's uh, what's our you know East mm-hmm. German infrastructure over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we we'll have to see. Maybe it's just one of those things where on Sunday it's a bit tif- a bit more difficult to stream out. Mm-hmm. So um, we covered a lot today. And is there anything else we want to go over again when we're talking about scope? Do we want to recap on anything? What the one thing I also had in my mind is like actually what's the that's a big question you know but what is the scope of life what's the scope of nature and the scope of the universe is that well, something I, I don't think that's something we can put into one <laughs> podcast I mean I would just say the number forty two and leave it at that okay but well, I'm good uh, with that. it it's it tends to be a little bit more complicated that's absolutely more complicated but I think it's worth to, uh, worth worth it to look at it because that's also the answer why would why is um, nature going the way it goes, what is driving nature, what is right. the, the force behind it, who says an animal to set up certain scopes and goals, where does it come from? That's something I'm really interested in. And I'm- yeah, there's a, there's an interesting thing. There's a foundation recently started. I should actually, I'm going to figure, I'm going to find out what the foundation is called. I heard about this about six months ago and um, years back, there was this, uh, there was a foundation that was started to... Um, I think they, they had like a prize of like 20 million US dollars for any group or person who can successfully launch a shuttle and have it land back mm. down to be reused again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the person who ended up wa- uh, winning that prize was none other than uh, um, Steve from Microsoft. What was his name? Was it, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, but anyway, I believe his name was Steve, but it was Bill Gates' original um, partner at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Am I thinking? Of, no, sorry, I'm thinking of <laughs> Mac. Steve Wozniak, that's the, the guy from mm-hmm. uh, from Apple Computer, who originally started with uh, with uh, Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. I thought you Never that. was that. Nevertheless, <laughs> um, he, his organization, uh, he, he was, I believe, uh, involved with MIT. Uh, his organization ended up winning it. Now they spent more than twenty million dollars to win it. 
But it goes to show you that uh, that type of financial incentive sometimes is, is a great push because eventually they ended up getting more money off of the patents and so on and so forth anyway. And it was mm -hmm. a nice it was a nice kind of goal to reach. But uh, the reason why I say this is because there's a new organization out there right now that's using the same principle and philosophy to try and prove something that is perhaps almost impossible, but you know, hopefully there's a nice big enough incentive. And the last I heard it was over $10 million and that was six months ago. So I'm hoping that it's gone up since then. And what they're trying to do is um, award anybody who could prove uh, how chemical goes to code. And that's really interesting from a biological point yeah, of view. Because it's a big question of aim well, and that's, scope, right? <laughs> that's, that's huge in the sense that we're we're taught that um, life probably, uh, the theory of it, that life probably emerged because of, uh, if we talk about the, the pure idea of uh, natural selection, this is why natural selection doesn't tend to work to explain um, um, where we come from, but it does a good job uh, explaining um, micro changes mm -hmm. within species and people and, mm -hmm. and, and organisms and so on and so yeah, forth. Yeah, but you have to have something in order for natural selection to work upon, well, right? So and, where does that come from? And that's the big thing yeah. is that uh, the idea is, is that there was perhaps like a primordial sludge full of amino acids that were <laughs> built uh, by random selection originally and that eventually got hit by like a lightning strike and plasma and blah, blah, blah and the right temperatures and then these amino acids came together and created life. That's one of the ideas as to how maybe the first type of RNA chain was ever created. But the fact of the matter is, we explained this, was it last episode or two episodes ago, where we talked about um, how unbelievable it is that um, DNA can reproduce itself, mm -hmm. right? We, we, we'd said that uh, something that I had also learned was that um, when a DNA chain wants to reproduce itself, it can only do so when it's a whole chain. Right. So if there has been damage done to mm -hmm. the DNA strand, whether it be through uh, a radiation or something like that, um, that chain has to repair itself before it can um, uh, repeat itself. Right. And the way that it does that is uh, a great example that I heard is you, you go to an author. Uh, sorry, getting tired now. It's getting late for us. <laughs> you, you go you go to uh, to uh, um, someone who's really proficient, like a good editor for books. Right. And you give them this 700-page book, or larger, mm -hmm. and you say, there's like 10 or 12 pages missing mm -hmm. in there. Can you read this book, please, very thoroughly and um, try to recreate those you know, pages that are missing as best as you can based mm -hmm. off of the information that you have in the rest of the chain, uh, in the pages? And DNA does the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the the amount of like, from my point of view, from like a digital point of view, the amount of checksums that have to occur in order for that type of meticulous um, work to happen is unbelievable. You know, I think that a lot of us, we take our technologies for granted. When we're driving uh, down the freeway and we have our phone on and our phone's playing radio or our, 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 we're having a conversation, the amount of like pings that have to occur to all the different cell towers that says, hey, I'm sending this packet. Did you get it? Yeah, you got that one. Good. I'm going to send the next one. <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah. how much information is, is constantly being transferred, but at the same time protocoled and um, and pinged and, uh, and um, what was the other word I'm looking for? Um, doesn't matter. The point is, is that um, it's unbelievable to see that 
in our technology, how data actually works when it comes to sending information and getting a, a, a response and sending more information because of it. The, the human body is, is, is very, very similar. And the genetics, uh, the, the concept of the way that the, the, the DNA strain reproduces itself is also very similar, except it's like on steroids. It's, it's, <laughs> it's way, 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 way more ahead of anything that we have. And mm. I think that that's, that's the reason why the foundation, um, anyway, they, they created that because they said that, you know, if we can prove how we went from chemical to code, then we could start to at least tackle that question of 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 intelligence mm-hmm. you know where who who programmed the code of life yeah where did that come from and how did it get so complicated in such short periods of time this mm-hmm. is there are lots of great theories out there to try and even guess and touch upon it right but it's uh it's one of the most fundamental questions i think and yeah. until we really do understand that if we ever can understand that yeah, I think that our ability to actually build um, according to the laws of nature will will always have to rely on other forms of philosophy, because that is not something that we understand. Yeah, right? and I learned uh, in my studies back then that it really just happened by chance, <laughs> which I couldn't believe. Like, look at it; it's so complicated. How can that just happen by chance? Well, and this is the big thing. I mean, um, before, without going into that whole evolutionary yeah. discussion, because it's just it's a circular discussion in the sense that until we know how chemical goes to code, yeah, yeah. Eh, there's no there, like yeah, yeah. Th- there's only philosophical speculation that we could then endure, right? So that being said, today was a great episode. Yeah. Any of you guys out there want to ask a question before we uh, turn in for the day? Is there another question there that came up? No. Then uh, please post it. Um, if you're in Telegram, send us a little hello, and I'd like to know if those messages actually show up on the screen. I'm not even sure if they do. <laughs> yeah, I just you know what? It's one of these things. Like uh, we're gonna actually use uh, the 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 live stream here as a uh, as a as a way to uh, test the live stream and learn. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Good. Um, you know, we're experiencing reality and we're learning about ourselves. Well said. There we go. All right, everybody. Okay. This has been another great episode of Smart Homes, Stupid People. My name is Eris Felmuth. I'm Madeline Sieger. Have yourselves a lovely weekend, and we will be back here. I'm not sure what topic we have coming up. I think it's <laughs> going to be more of a sporadic topic next week. Wednesday yeah. at 8 p.m. Yep. Central, East, uh, Central European time. Until then, good